How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 77. Ooh, like the symmetry and... Symmetry. Life is about symmetry, Jake. Everything's <laughs> cyclical. Cool. Sorry, I'm a little hazy today. Oh, you've been working hard. Yeah. Mm. I've um, <laughs> you're gotten you're... real sunk in. Problem with um, winter units, for everyone at home... Although we graduated at the start of the year, Zeke uh, decided that he wanted to do a master's in secondary <laughs> education. So I could tell by the third person you're speaking in. <laughs> um, he thought it was a great idea, so he has to do these literature units in the middle of winter while everyone else is off and wanting to do a bunch of sociable stuff, and I'm there having to still grind out 2,000-word essays. It's great. It's so much fun. Huh? Um <laughs> You sound like you're having a great time. Oh, yeah. I mean, you sort of just forget how much you hate uni until you get back into uni, but it's sort of like yeah. a gambling problem. You don't actually know how to leave when you leave. <laughs> <laughs> so I put I put my foot down. I was like, no. Yeah, I, was, I was telling you off the air, but someone asked me the other day, they're like, oh, um, why didn't you do honours? And I was like, because I don't want to. And you were <laughs> and a wise man for doing that's that. That's the extent of my reasoning, because I don't want to. However, I've still managed to get... A couple of films in this week. Um, so, and I actually got through, uh, I don't know if I talked about it last week on the show, or was I watched it in the last week. Did I talk about I watched the second season of Rostered On? Yes, I think you did. Okay, last. so yeah, I did watch... Uh, now, I'm seeing, now I'm trying to register if that was on the show or... Off the show. Off the show. Well, regardless, just to reaffirm, I did watch yep. the second season of Rostered On, uh, and I'm really hoping they get a third season, because it's really nice to see an Australian Netflix show. Very nice. You know, uh, it was very entertaining. Oh, you know what? Yeah, no, we didn't talk about this a lot because you messaged me about it. Okay. So this is definitely new. Yeah, so the second season came out... Oh, it came out probably earlier this year, but it got added to Netflix uh, two weeks ago, I think. And yeah, okay. no, lots of lots of fun. Very entertaining. Uh, I remember watching the first... The first season was a YouTube series, so... Um, and then oh, got so Netflix that- bought it. Uh, actually, Seven Mate bought it first. Oh, and then interesting. so the second season was actually produced by right. Seth, Channel Seven Mate, Channel Seventy Three, right? Um, <laughs> which is our on our free to, Australian free to air TV, and now Netflix have bought this the two seasons streaming rights. Interesting. So yeah. their first two seasons are up. Second season is starting to find a bit of that emotional footing that often shows do in their second seasons, and yeah, really, really funny. It's good to get some it. Australian, yeah, some Australian humor too, mm. and just you know, do they yell mate a lot? No, they're pretty. They try. I think they standardize it enough, but there's de- just the accents. I think are enough. It's sort of like Kinney. Have you ever watched Kinney? No. Okay, but so. I think of like Muriel's wedding. Like it's just a nice touch when they will have the accents. Yeah, like it's fun. Yeah. Um, I'm going to quickly start with the films I revisited during the week, Jake, before okay. going into new ones. Uh, I did revisit The Castle and The World's End and The Castle, speaking of Australiana. Mm. Bloody good film. So good. I've got to get onto it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I would absolutely, I would love to do it uh, as an episode in the future. But um, yeah, really good. Mm. I would put it up in the pool room. <laughs> <laughs> A little cheeky Easter egg. Yes. So, uh, what about you, Jake? Have you caught much this week? Um, I caught a little bit. Uh, even though we were talking about cinemas reopening last week, which was like 
a big uh, a big hurrah for everyone. Mm-hmm. I didn't technically go. I saw one thing in a theater. wasn't technically Luna or anything like that, but I did see Hamilton mm-hmm. on the big screen, which. So here's the thing. Last week I talked about it on the you know coming to Disney Plus next week. I talked about Hamilton uh, without really knowing what I was talking about. I was saying that oh I guess this is like a, a film adaption they've made or something um, about this thing that I've just heard so much about. And now watching is like okay I understand. So this is actually a group of recordings of the stage play from I think June 2016 is when they recorded these uh, with its is cast. It multiple or is it just well, one it, whole production? It definitely plays as one production, but it's kind of like when you watch Bill Burr. It's like, well, there's a few edited shows in there. Like, you oh, wouldn't okay. be able to tell. But apparently it was over three shows. Okay. Um, and, yeah, and apparently it was a big deal. It was meant to come out, like, in October 2021. And they brought it up quite a lot. Like, what? what is that? Like, 14? That's over a year. Well over a year. Yeah, they brought it up to Disney Plus to, I think, due, due to COVID and due to it being, uh, you know, Independence Day or, or you know, America Day. It's Independence Day. Oh, why yeah, it's got American Independence yeah, Day. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know why I forgot. Well, for, everyone Fourth calls it 4th of July. That's yeah. why. Um, and I was like, oh, that's why this comes out. Because obviously I found out that it's a story about um, the Declaration of Independence or, or um, Alexandra Hamilton and... Uh, was it George Washington who's in it as well? Sure. It, see, this is the stuff that's like going to throw me off is I'm going to start misremembering <laughs> characters. I'm pretty sure it was... Um, Burr's in it as well, and he's like the antagonist of the story. So you've got to know your American history going into it. And luckily, I was sitting mm. next to someone who did, so he sort of filled me in with some of the gaps between the songs. And that was one of the things I was surprised. Is like usually when you think of a musical, I mean, we just did Wizard of Oz. Usually, Correct. there's a lot of musical cues peppered in between the dialogue and the scenes, and this whole thing is just music. It's all singing, and I was shocked at how like. Just fantastical it was, really. Okay. And you really enjoyed it? I Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I thought the production was awesome. and Yeah, I really got to take you to a live, like a proper live one. Um, they do some really good ones at Crown Casino here in Perth. Oh, yeah. Some um, stage performances? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of stage theatre. Um, I think I've seen... It would be definitely in the double figures for live shows. Right, yeah. And different shows. Uh, I really like them. I like the whole concept of going to the theatre. The traditional concept of getting the, dressed the up and theater. going to the theatre. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, Hamilton's definitely on my list, but it's one of the most expensive. Yeah. It's... That's why probably it's such a big deal that they've released that live production so early because even in America, um, it, most tickets are in the 150 plus range to go see yeah. that show. It's I think last insane. week you said it was like $250, which doesn't in, surprise me at yeah, all. Yeah, Melbourne, when they had it in Melbourne, it was at least 250 upwards of, you know, normal three, 400. And just for reference, Jake, mm. most productions, like Broadway productions, even ones that come from the States to Australia, you'd still be paying, like, for example, Aladdin came to yep. Crown last year. I paid 60 bucks to go see okay. that. So, see, that sounds really cheap to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, the better seats, like, that wasn't a great seat, like, a good seat. I paid two, uh, the most I've ever paid is 155 and I sat okay. five rows from the front for Phantom of the Opera. That's pretty cool. And that was six, you got to see the orchestra like, yeah. play the music, and there's oh, some big organ numbers in that, so, like, feeling, like, it's the difference yeah, yeah. hearing and feeling the music, you feel the music in it it's pretty incredible so yeah, yeah. That, i can definitely understand even just like what you can see on screen and the way they shot it was really cool like you could tell there was a lot of um fought into it but i can imagine being there and experiencing person yeah there's some really good um, else. 
there's some really good live recordings of shows out there. Um, I know the BBC did a 40th anniversary of Rocky Horror oh, yeah. in 2016 or 17, and that was really well produced. I remember, you can watch on YouTube now, and it's really good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, when they put the effort in, they they make you feel like you are there, or it's yeah, sometimes yeah. even better than actually being there. So, yeah. Well, what, what I noticed, because I've done, I have recorded local shows for, like, friends and mm-hmm. directors and stuff. Like, they wanted me to, sometimes I wasn't allowed to, but I still did it anyway. Um, they were like, hide up in that porch and record our show. So I'm not naming any names, but uh, I do have a bit of experience with that. And I, what yeah. I love trying to do is, um, because it's sort of hard to replicate the feeling of being there for sure. But what I like to do is to add to the experience through editing, through the way I'm framing the scene. So sometimes if there's like a comedic beat, I'm thinking in my head as I'm shooting it, how can I make this funnier in the video by the way I shoot it or the way that I can edit this moment? Yeah, and I liked that. That it felt like there was a lot of thought in that regard in this Hamilton on, on Disney Plus. So yeah, I actually, I had a lot of fun with it. It's just under three hours, so I shouldn't have been surprised by that. Once I learned it was a stage recording, but mm-hmm. um, just beware as you're going in. It's a long one. No dramas. Uh, did you want to throw it back to me, or do you want to keep... Um, I'll just quickly. I don't have a lot left this week, so I'll okay. quickly ramble through it. Uh, so the other one I watch, I watched it on the same day. So this was a bit of a tonal whiplash it for me if you will i watched schindler's list finally i've been trying to mean mean to watch it for weeks and yeah that's a that's a film <laughs> it's, a, it's a good film it's a great film depressing it's a, film yeah yeah the um i don't know what spielberg did you know you obviously you have the 80s which is his magical era mm-hmm. you know with the ets and stuff and then you have the stuff that he's kind of doing now, which is a bit more hit or miss. But then the 90s, he's like, I'm just going to get really serious. Let's do a bunch of wars. Let's do the Holocaust. Let's do all of this shit. So Yeah, Schindler's List is... It's pretty... It's fair to say, I think... You know, people criticize Spielberg nowadays for losing touch, but he had a couple... Like, he had at least two to three decades of really good films. Um, yeah, no, he's a, he's a master, really. So to say, just because he's dropped off in the last decade... I mean, how many decades do you want to be a good filmmaker? I mean, if you really... How long do you reckon Tarantino's going to be... I was literally just thinking that. You know, he wants to retire, and people are like, don't retire. It's like, it might be a good thing if he does. Yeah. If he might know where the age stops for him. But no, you're absolutely right. I think this film is just so dry. I remember just the scene alone when the kids are all in the trucks and, like, all the parents... Or the adults see and they know they immediately know what's about to happen. They start chasing after the trucks. It's like yeah. just stuff like that where it's like just that little and I'm not even that much of an empathetic person when watching films. I feel like especially the last few years I've sort of lost the emotional touch. It's hard for me to get emotionally invested in films these yeah. days. But like moments like that where it just sort of sneaks in you're like, man, like it just the the gravity and the weight of that whole situation, of course that happened nearly a hundred years ago, just hits you for a, just a minute and it's like, fuck man. Like scenes like that just really, just really work. Um, and, Liam Neeson's pretty great. Isn't it? Oh, he's great. Was that like his first big role? Uh, it... Rob Roy was pretty big. Okay. Um, but yeah, he's because definitely... you think of Star Wars and stuff now it... when you think of him. That was before Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I would say that's probably his first Oscar, like Academy looking. Oh yeah, for sure, definitely. I think he got nominated for Best Actor that year. Mm. Or at least best supporting actor. Yeah. But I will say before I move on, I will say this. I don't know which I found more like brutal it between this film and Polanski's with the pianist. I honestly couldn't tell you which I found was more 
like harder to watch i would say probably schindler's list mm. um i think i enjoy schindler's list more than i enjoy the pianist right um the pianist has probably a stronger scene in it like the strongest scene out of both films right. in it there's one shot in particular when he's climbing over it's like a gate or and it sort of pans up and you see the destruction of the like that shot rings so well in the in penis? My head. yeah yeah i just think of that play for me scene that's mm. like one of that's probably out of the two films that's, that's the scene. that's the scene i i find the strongest yeah but yeah um it's very interesting um good comparison they definitely deserve comparability but i would say aesthetically i think i enjoy um there's they're, they're slightly different stories one's more about survival the other one's more about uh saving yeah so, well wh- one of them is definitely a more narrow scope in terms of we're following this one guy yeah who's surviving on his own versus like the the attempt at trying to get thousands saved mm-hmm. um i agree with you with schindler's list being aesthetically more it's just like well done because the black and white photography is just like so perfect in that film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, um yeah. Good and comparison though. Like, needs yeah, to be yeah. there for sure. Yeah, well, it's the only two I can think of. I mean, I've seen like Boy in the Stripe pajamas and stuff like that, but the, those films I feel are different tonally from these are the real like... I'm not a huge fan of that film. Oh, really? That'll, like go- that'll Good. Good was another one from Viggo Mortensen. Oh, okay. Out. I didn't even know Good. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, not a big fan of Boy in the Stripe pajamas. I mean, it's, a, it's a gut punch moment, of course, but the film itself, rather the rest of the film. Yeah, I might rewatch it. I watched it in high school. That's that may be why. It's definitely a go-to high school film. <laughs> the Pianist. I watched that in high school. Oh, yeah. Which now I'm thinking, like, I don't think we got written permission to watch that film. <laughs> um, but it just happened, man. Uh, so, in contrast, speaking of high school films, yeah, I actually watched uh, the 1954 cartoon feature of the animal uh, of animal farm oh that's right you tell me about this one as well. um and i quite liked it but it was not a kid's it was designed it was catered to <laughs> children or at least i would say young adults like it's still visual... uncomfortable yeah like it's it's not a novel i would like attribute it's yeah it was definitely not a comfortable cartoon but a lot of cartoons back then. Well, was that like just the physical like the animation of it you're talking about or just the story i think the story oh, yeah, subject that's... matter is just yeah um but yeah yeah even the i would say yeah even the cartoon is sort of uh i mean it's hand drawn obviously but um yeah i i would say it was if i had watched that as a ch- smaller child i would definitely have been scared by it for sure yeah it's definitely not charlotte's web don't get those mixed up <laughs> yeah damn Can you imagine if you did Oh, um, poor parents. But yes, I seldom enjoyed that. Yep. Um, same with Hancock. First time I've ever watched that. On oh, my, really? As you're currently sitting in front of my new TV. I, I'm a little Jake. too close to it, to be honest. I don't uh, want to break it. Uh, yeah, try not to. Uh, <laughs> gorgeous TV. Your, Thank you. Your previous TV was, in comparison, very small. Yeah, it's been moved, and we moved that one to the, the other room. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I uh, watched that. That was the first film I watched on my new TV. <laughs> Which is a little why. underwhelming. Yeah, um, this is a strange one. Uh, didn't get much out of that film. Uh, moving on. Um, I also watched <laughs> uh, Ocean's 8. Yes. What did you think? I actually enjoyed Ocean's 8. I'd nice. say I enjoyed Ocean's 8 more than I enjoyed... Ocean's 12? 
Definitely 12 and probably even 13. <laughs> so, but not as much as 11. You know what? That still... sounds right. I obviously haven't seen 8, but that kind of sounds right. Yeah, I like the... Um, I was a little confused. At, uh, it took me way too long to realise that Sandra Bullock and Julia Roberts are two different people. <laughs> oh, no. Um, no, like, I know they're different people, but I've always got them mixed up. They're the two I always get mixed up. And Sandra Bullock's playing uh, George Clooney's sister. Oh. So she's playing, okay, so she's it's, another it's ocean. all part of the same... Yeah, universe. Wow, okay, interesting. Um, but it starts off with uh, she's leaving um, uh, prison. Yeah. Very similar to the similar Ocean's the Eleven one, start. Yeah. Um, and basically, uh, we find out that George Clooney's... Uh, He's died. Like, uh, Danny Ocean was killed oh. off-screen. in that film, sucks. Which is a little disappointing, because I honestly would have told... And, and I'm hoping the ending leaves one a little... A little... I don't want to say it's sort of... But it's ambiguous enough that they probably could bring back Danny Ocean and then they could do, like, a double... That's That Ocean's... sounds really dumb to me, that they would just kill him off. It feels silly. It does mm. feel silly to me that... Rather than he could have just gone to prison or he could just be retired. They could have just yeah, done exactly. that. Anything. And then just focused on his sister being the same sort of thing. Because then you, you're, what you're doing is you're cancelling out the potential to do a crossover. Having Sandra Bullock and George Clooney be both Oceans. Well, like, you, when you think about the Oceans films, like, even though it's its, its own, like, trilogy, you never think of it as, like, a concluded storyline. No. Like, you just always feel like there could be another one. Well, they're caper films. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it felt silly to kill off, but I feel like the ending was... <sighs> if you ever watch it, you'll understand what I mean. It leaves, yep. like... It doesn't suggest anything, but it definitely leaves a moment where it feels like if they were to pan the camera, you would see George Clooney in the doorway being like, the... I'm not dead. And yeah, you're like, you're kind of half his... Which you that. could always, like, because it's a caper film, you could be like, oh, he faked his own death to get the law from yeah, catching him. It's, at that point, it's like, why'd they make that decision in the first place? So, I've, I, yeah, it kind of sucks they made that yeah, decision. I, but I can't criticise the film standalone. That's a decision that okay, they've made yeah. by the studio rather than that affecting the narrative. Because the narrative itself is crisp and, honestly, the, the cast of ladies is just as good as the cast as men. Like, they've, yeah. they've got the same dynamic as Ocean's Eleven. Um and it it's an enjoyable film. I, I had no problem watching it. It was a very easy two hours that just went nice. by. That's on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, good. Just got cool. didn't get added too long ago. So yeah, I've de- I definitely remember reading that out like on this show. Yeah, so. and we were talking about when we did our Ocean's Eleven. That we, uh, yeah, we wanted to jump we, on that one. Yeah, and I would. It, it's definitely. I would say it's the second strongest of the f- the four films. Nice. Um, That's a good ranking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough to beat the original. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. Very few films sequels would ever beat an original if the original was good so that's yeah it's uh you can count on the one hand how many sequels would beat truly, the original yeah, yeah truly trump the original one yeah um and the other film i watched this week was this one's an interesting one because on netflix right now it's called uh the f word the f word um, and yet it's actually called what if in america which was oh, the, the daniel, daniel radcliffe film yeah why in the world is it called the F word? Check on your Netflix. It says it's called the F word. That's I've literally never. But the the title is like in Arial font, like it's very basic. I'm it's just so called the F word. No clue why. 
I've literally because I've seen What If a few times. Like that's one of my mm. guilty pleasures, and I'm like, I've never even like within the film. Like, why would they even call it? Yeah, like if you have ne- if you can get Netflix up right. No, I, b- I believe you. I'm just so c- I'm confused. I have no clue why it's called that too. Huh. Like I I've never seen it before and delved in it and really enjoyed it. Really yeah, enjoyed it's a fun it. one. Um, whenever I see Adam Driver rocks up in the first five minutes, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna enjoy this film uh, now. Um, <laughs> I forget he's in it. He's a good. He's like a good um companion. Well, it's 2013, so it's really at the start of the very early on the, his yeah the driver renaissance, the driver train. Yeah, <laughs> there's got to be a cool pun there, but yeah, I I I felt like I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it sort of deals with sexual tension in a more quirky rom com compared to the film of the week. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd yeah. say he's good in it. I don't, still don't really understand the, uh, cartoon. I like the, like the, you know, the cartoon Oh, like the, like the little chick. birds and stuff. But yeah, the cartoon chick. Yeah, because she's a cartoonist, yeah. Yeah, she's an animator, but it, yeah, it, yeah. Okay, it I just sort of felt that. like it was a, this is an indie film, so we're going to do a quirky indie thing. Right, but, yeah. Well, it's funny, because like that, I don't think I used it as a reference but it is obviously very similar to the disconnected animated stuff and i would say that you, i don't want to say either of them are unmotivated but like i feel like even what if has the more direct connotation of well she's a she's an artist so she would have yeah. drawn that even in like something like disconnected is a little less motivated the way it's done i got i but, i yeah. did enjoy the film though yeah, was, yeah, it's it, was, film. it was definitely one of those films where you're just like oh that was a really easy uh, like an easy consumable watch uh that scene where uh, Radcliffe knocks out, knocks the boyfriend out the window, is one of the, I maybe verbally jump. Oh, really? You know when like he goes to the bathroom and he comes out and he knocks the boyfriend out the window. The- <laughs> I, I remember like, the scene. Oh! When he, I remember when he's punched down the stairs. That's oh, the one okay. that's always in my head is when he's tumbling down the stairs. Not the one where he falls out of the two story window. I'm trying to remember that to be honest. That's in it. It's, uh... Oh, because yeah, he knocks. It's it's the boyfriend, and then she makes some comment about it later. Yeah. You knocked my boyfriend out, whatever she says. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I remember the scene when they're on the beach and, like, they Adam Driver steals the clothes and stuff and that's to be naked. And that's kind of... Fun. I like the serious tone it takes there as well. Yeah, like, it's not... When, like, it's not a joke like, anymore. They're flirting us. Yeah. I like that a lot, yeah. It's yeah. a good film. It's... Yeah. It's got a, a nice, predictable, safe ending, too, which is nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. Doesn't yeah. try and subvert your expectations. <laughs> no, exactly. Of course. So, um, I really, yeah, I really enjoy. Um, that's kind of a funny film because that's really in the passing torch scene too for both those actors, for Daniel Radcliffe and Adam Driver. It feels like, cause, yeah, in a way, cause I guess it's sort Radcliffe's of... at the end of Harry Potter and Driver's on his way to becoming the one of the best actors in Hollywood. <laughs> Nah, I don't. I don't disagree there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, nah, because I'm trying to remember what. What was that? 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think. I mean, the Woman in Black was definitely his like main. This is his next project. Like this is the one everyone wanted to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, but I definitely like this one. Was always a nice little guilty pleasure. Was like, oh yeah, he's he's a fun. He's like the fun loser character. Very reminds me of 500 Days of Summer a lot. The Joseph Gordon-Levitt character. I liked Daniel Radcliffe a lot more in this than I did in Justin. I, I think, think he's definitely meant to be more likable, though. Yeah, to be fair, like the one of the big pros to Five Hundred Days is they don't shy away from him being just a prick. That, yeah, like, yeah, he's definitely not as as likable as on the surface it seems like he's meant to be. So yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much all I watched this week. <laughs>
There you go. Well, the the one other I want to talk about, and this sort of nicely leads in uh, to the film of the week. I watched Amelie, finally. So this is another film that was on my poster, 100 films to watch, along with Schindler's List and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is also a... I don't want to use the word quirky, because I wouldn't say Portrait's a quirky film, but it's definitely a French film that um, was very enjoyable. I... When I was watching it, and this is one that I was like talking to people about, and they're like, oh my god, it's like one of the best foreign films I've ever seen, sort of thing. And I watched, and I just, I love the, the high energy and the direction mm-hmm. of that film. It reminded me in a weird way, and bear with me, audience, it reminded me a bit of the Portuguese film City of God. Oh, I just, my leg just died. Um, <laughs> uh, and that film's obviously much more serious. It's about youth and gangs and all this violent stuff. And this film is very much the opposite of that. It's about good people doing good things for each other, essentially. But the first comment is literally, this is the film equivalent of being hugged. That is absolutely accurate. (laughs) 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 It's such a sweet film, but in in comparison to the city of God, where that film is so energetic in the way it's directed and edited and the way they use colors. Like it's just, there's so much going on and it's so impressive from a filmmaking standpoint. I felt the exact same way here, but in a, in a much more, like in a way that I feel like I'm gonna get a hug. Exactly. Yeah. I saw that review too, and I'm like, that's perfect. <laughs> um, but no, I love this film to death. And for those who don't know, it's about this girl Emily, and we sort of open up on her growing up and her family, and she's this very quirky, shy girl who sort of starts going on like she gets a knack for helping people around mm-hmm. her, and it sort of turns into that thing where oh, where she's very good at helping others, but she can't help herself, sort of scenarios. But the way it tells that story, it doesn't sound. The way I make sound, it may sound very conventional, but the way it actually all plays out is actually very clever and very cute. And it's a really enjoyable film. So. Nice. French cinema, man. It's where it's at. I'm telling you. It's where it's, it's at. <laughs> it's I love it. stuff. But yeah. No dramas. Well, it, do you have anything as we bridge into the career part of the show? Um, I'm happy to give it a skip this week. No dramas. Let's jump straight in. Yeah, my career stuff is uh, stuff assignments. <laughs> Um, fun you can read your assignment to us next week no um (laughs) no worries well it's time to move into our film of the week which is not a part of any sort of countdown or anything like that it is just a film of the week oh we're back into it but jake what are we watching this week on the show we're watching portrait of a lady on fire L'homme intéressé par ma fille est milanais. Nous partons là-bas, si le portrait lui plaît. Il a épuisé déjà un peintre avant vous. Que s'est-il passé Je ne sais pas. On an isolated island at the end of the 18th century, a female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. How vague. How very yes. vague. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh... This this is uh, your favorite film from last year. My favorite film of 2019. That's uh, pretty which crazy. I, I caught on the last day of 2019 as well. Yes. So that was a is it um, going to disappoint you if I say this was not... I can confirm this would not have beaten <laughs> my... This probably... I can live with that. <laughs> I don't know if this would have made my top five of Damn, last year. Okay. I, think, I can think of four films off the top of my head that I already enjoyed more than this film. So maybe it might have made fifth. Right, it could have been in the top fifth, uh, barely. Maybe, but I can. But that doesn't mean I dislike the film, Jake. Mm. So before you get out your paintbrushes and sharpen them, <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. Um, 
I did enjoy this film. Uh, it's a French film. Yeah, yeah. We said great in our, in our French film. I, this is probably the first, first French film we've done on the show. Uh, in terms of film of the week? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we've done a, what? We've done a South Korean film. We've done this film. We did Spirit Australian of the Way. Australian film. Japanese film. We've done a few Australian films now. Yeah, a couple bits but, and bobs. Um, yeah, but we definitely haven't done a lot of foreign Mexican films. Mexican film. Oh, man, yeah. Um, or rather, foreign language film. And that was one of the things I was talking about at the start of this year, is how angry I was this isn't nominated for any Oscars. And the main reason is because France just decided to elect a different film. Another Les Miserables. That's the one. Um, and I'm really very upset that that was their pick instead of this film, because this film... I Granted, I haven't seen the other one, but like, I, I mean, I said it last week, I think this is an authentic masterpiece. And I want to talk to you just about some of the stuff that went from my head when I first watched this film maybe six months ago. Mm-hmm. And then I rewatched it last night. And I don't know, I just everything that I thought just was reaffirmed and just confirmed again on my second rewatch. But I think there's a lot to talk about anyway. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of whether this is your favorite film of all time or not, which is okay. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> As I no, I I didn't I did enjoy the film. Mm. Um, I really like it's sort of it's patience. I think mm. it um it moves at a pace that it's kind of almost feels like a product of the time, mm. even um which is kind of cool. You know, we take a film like uh, The Favorite, which sort of moves far quicker. But mm. it's set around the same sort of time. Yeah, there's a lot fast paced um, and there's a lot of music to keep the energy high and Yeah, whereas this film doesn't mind being quite uh uh I don't wanna say barren's the wrong word, but uh decluttered, I guess. Interesting, yeah. So uh, like there's not a lot Well there's no in the way of There's the story. no non diegetic soundtrack. None whatsoever. There's only diegetic stuff. So it's got the Roma mm. effect. Um, yeah, I didn't think about it, but yeah, you're right. Roma's very because Roma is the the same thing, only diegetic sounds. So... Even like the music is like chants yeah. from the characters and stuff. Well, it's like with this one, yeah, same thing. It's the yeah. music is it's all uh, in various. Uh, I think there's only music technically in two scenes. Really. Technically, they they sort of tease one of those tracks on the piano. Yes, but there were only like two tracks in the whole film. Yeah. Um, and I find it interesting, someone like you can, you know, when we go off what our favorite film last year in terms of episodes was Once, mm. which is such a musical heavy film, yep. for this to be so absent of any... Just quiet. Yeah. And you yeah. still enjoy that. I find that interesting. It's an interesting contrast. I think, and I thought about this a lot, because I'm not surprised that it's not like... It, I knew that you wasn't going to be like your immediate favorite film of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just made me wonder, like, why do I like this film so much? Because I, I joke about it. I'm like, oh, my favorite film is, you know, an 18th century uh, film about lesbians, and there's no music. But they're not and... lesbians. I would say it's. Mm. I would say it's kind of wrong to put. I can't believe I'm saying it. It's wrong <laughs> to put a label on them. I think it's not about um, for them. Their connection transcends their mm. sexual preference. Yeah, for sure. I think that becomes very apparent when she still marries and she still has a child. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> um, well, it's not really a yeah, spoiler. Well. I think that it's 
it was at the end of the day, I think the film is trying to make a statement on the pursuit of art and sort of what really love is. Mm. It's not. It's transcend transcendental. It trans well. It, it transcends. transcends sexuality. Yeah, uh, and I think that's the key. Whereas something like, uh, you know, we we go back to when we talked about the favorite, where that mm. film also talks about sexuality, but it goes a very different route. Mm. It's all about sexual power. Whereas here, it uh, there, it's not about uh, power. It's not about power at it's all. It's about no. connection. And if anything, the power comes from the bond the bondage that they have with each other yeah. and the power of of their their gaze upon one another mm. i will i will clarify that um me using the term lesbians is, is part of the label the joke the fact that ah oh, this is my favorite yeah yes, film. yeah yeah um, cuz i completely to... agree with you with the the fluidity of of the relationships yeah um and i think that's kind of what i like about it because of that sort of uh openness that they're willing mm. to express that both of them openly talk about having male partners they talk about love with male mm. companionships and i don't think that makes them bisexual it may be if you need to put a label on it sure but i don't think the film's trying to say that they're not talking uh, the film's not about two bisexual women it's about women that express bisexual tendencies i guess if you have to put a sexuality on it but i think it's more it's bigger than that it's broader than that. it's more uh, emotional over mm. than sexual so that's just well, my in, take in regards of its exploration of gender and i want to talk a bit about why i think this is probably the best example of like feminist filmmaking in a minute and the way that it treats just man in as, as a general term mm-hmm. but i think what this film really succeeds at doing is portraying this as just a general love story and yeah, there's discussions, and that's actually one of the only things I forgot about this film was that there's there's plenty of discussions and conversations that um, Marie and Heloise have about you know male partners or the fact that she's getting wet off or mm-hmm. um, that Marianne's not allowed to to draw nude men, for example. Like I forgot that these conversations unless do... it's in secrecy. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And um, I think it's such a clever way of weaving like oh well the, you know this is how it was in the 18th century, but then they weave it with other things which I'll talk about later in regards to pro-choice decisions this film makes about how some of this still applies today. You know, even if, if some of these concepts feel ancient, they're not necessarily ancient or so. Um, I think what I loved so much about this film is not even just the ideas, but how every aspect of filmmaking is used to, to enhance those ideas or it's all motivated by this one concept mm-hmm. so it's like the way it's shot and we you talked about the gaze i mean the gaze is so important in this film uh not even the male gaze like literally just the fact that you have this character gazing upon another at first to study them for a work of art and eventually to fall in love and it just makes things like the medium close-up has never been more important yeah and i i think it comes back to it's funny you bring up the male gaze but it's not about the male gaze in fact it's I actually would argue that that's one of the strongest presentations of, of feminist in this uh, feminist theory mm. in this film is how they've sort of ported the scopophilic male gaze and they've ported it to a female format. Mm. Um, and I don't think a film has been a more apparent example of it is no longer 
we should stop looking at it as, as the male gaze. We should just look at it as the gaze. Mm. The it's scope of it's scopophilic and it doesn't really matter who's doing it, but it's the power of of seduction of one's one's eyes to another subject, mm. regardless of what the subject is. It you know, for fifty, sixty years it's it's been it's been men looking towards women and the uh you know the camera's subjectivity and presentation of how men perceive women in film but mm. this film's definitely going out of its way to be like that's archaic which is ironic that it's set in 18th century france because yep. <laughs> what they're basically acknowledging is is this gaze can apply to all realms and it can be you know it's all subtext you know it's it's she at first is simply gazing to gauge parts of her facial structure yeah to do a job essentially yeah and over time that gaze changes and Mm. it actually gets flipped on its head in one of i don't want to spoil one of my highlight scenes but it's definitely one of my favorite scenes in the film yep um and you're bang on i don't think medium close-ups have been used this well in a very long time well it's such simplistic use and it doesn't even have to change you're right that transformation from it being the gaze via studying to the gaze via falling in love it almost doesn't any change whatsoever in terms of the way it's shot or the way Mm. the camera rests and even scenes like when they're playing cards or when they're over a bonfire we almost never cut to the action we're just getting medium close-ups of these, like in this case, women playing the card game. Mm-hmm. We don't even need to see, you know, we don't need cutaways of the hands coming through. It's just resting on their faces. Yeah. And I'm like, that's uh, just brilliant to me. Uh, and I think that that really comes back to the story we're trying to tell. The fact of the matter is uh, we probably only really meet far, four major talking characters and two of yeah. them are the central characters and two are supporting characters characters one being the maid and the other being the mother Mm. um and i i think that uh it really like by consistently using medium close-ups upwards to close-ups in that sort of range allows the story to really have that tunnel vision focus it's very much like this is what their world is it's just well it feels intimate yeah yeah and and it's it's even more honed in when like one of the very first scenes in the film we see um marianne just sitting around naked she helps herself to a meal she's smoking tobacco in a pipe you know Mm -hmm. it's like almost immediately i mean we learn about her character this way it's one of the first things she does is like immediately become comfortable in this new place that she's never been in but it again it feeds into the intimacy and even just the nudity in this film is really clever um not even it's not sexualized no it's not at all it's in fact it's often and i think this is this is often talked about i think quite a lot in french films is it's the openness of it and um without whereas and this is i think this is a big difference between european and western cinema is Mm. in western cinema nudity is treated with such a either a such a lowbrow or an over sexualized nature Mm. it's to sell tickets yeah Whereas here, it it's just occasionally it'll it'll out of nowhere it'll just cut to them being you know naked mm. in bed or cut to well she went she fell into water and she's cold and so she takes a little clothes off and sits by the fire and smokes you know yeah. to heat up you know it's like there's no one around why wouldn't she and it's, it very much makes us this quiet observer to the story we're about to witness for yeah. sure. Um, 
and it's like private I, life in a lot I, of ways like that yeah and i think that's probably why i like it i like mm. things that just take out of all all of the uh over sexualized stuff which mm. makes honestly by doing that um and i'm glad you brought it up it makes the things like the gazes and their actions when they've got their clothes completely on feel more sexual than right, the actual because there's a normality nudity. to it. Yeah, because like there's an intensity that that that, um, that their gazes have, and mm. the the fact that they sell so much with their faces without barely, and the and the film is asking us to call attention to how their faces act constantly mm. between, you know, is it Marianne and Heloise's yep. uh, constantly poking? You know, one of their most intimate scenes is when they point out when the others feeling a certain way, <sighs> they do certain gestures. That seems brilliant. Yeah, and it and it allow, and it's telling us as the viewer, pay attention to this stuff. Pay attention to their faces. Look at mm. their faces. Don't look at everything else. And it comes back to how conservative the clothing is. So it's taking a platform um, uh, and subverting kind of a story that's technically about, you know, love that we know is eventually going to climax in, in terms of a, a sexual and intimate scene. Yeah. And, and it's asking us to folk pay attention to things that we don't deem sexual. And yet we should mm. deem as sexual because it's all part of the process. Well, just like the idiosyncrasies essentially. Yeah. Like you're right. Like the, Oh, you brush your hair when you do this or you hide your face when you do that. Like these little things that, I think that's the first point in the film when it's flipped, when you realise, like, there's not just one person studying another person. It, it's going both ways yes. here. And it's the first hint. And I'm trying to remember if... Because, again, this is a film I went into pretty blind in the cinema. I'm trying mm. to remember if I knew this was a love story going into it. And it becomes overtly obvious throughout the film where it's all leading. But I'm trying to remember if, based on the first five minutes, and I actually missed the opening scene in the cinema... This is the first time I've even seen the, would, the immediate res that, scene. That scene is the first <laughs> verbal indicator, but there's mm. definitely... Uh, I would say the first scene you really start to see is about 25, 30 minutes in, and it's the interaction that Marianne has with uh, Heloise's mother. Mm. And she just says, You're, she's really fond of you. And you're sort of like, oh, okay, yeah. I kind of... Yeah, but I would say as a general viewer, yeah, probably that, that scene where they're actually physically talking is the first real indicator like very clear indicator of where we're going but you know as filmies it's sort of like you can see you you can see a little bit ahead uh, (laughs) of you know where you go i think i messaged you halfway through being uh, or like oh here we third of the way through being like i know where this is going right like the tension yeah you can sort of sense on it i think but that's me i think the film because it's so simplistic in its direction but it still conveys all of those things so clearly and i and I remember when, I, when I'm picking up on this stuff about the gaze and the, the medium close-up and how those are all being utilized to further tell the story, I'm trying to tell myself, like, am I just missing this in other films? Or is it just something about this film that's just making it so clear in such I, a visual way that's I so impressive? This, this film, like, lacks... This film has less clutter in it, so mm. it allows you to pay attention to things like this more clearly i think and that's a good thing because i think you're so, right i think they nailed it on the head actually i think i think other films often because they saturate you with so much other stuff they don't if you do want to analyze something or talk about something you have to thoroughly dig dig into mm. it in order to understand 
the motivation, but this has got very clear sort of like, this shot is motivated to mm. do this result, and you can see that, and I like that idea. You know, we talk about... Uh, I think Private Life is a really good comparison for this this film in terms of the the simply... I think a lot of Private Life is quite simply shot too. Yeah. And doesn't mind holding on the camera and, and in situations like that. And staring at nude characters <laughs> from time to time. But but it, not acknowledging they're nude. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, that's that's, I think what Tamara Jenkins does with that film is really, really awesome. Um, and just allowing the characters to sort of perform in the space. And mm. that's kind of what makes both of them quite, uh, hard to take your eyes away from the screen because, um, eventually you just sort of get sucked into how simple every, like how simple, the simple, but potent the cinematography is. Oh my god! Yeah, we can talk about the cinematography forever. I've got the cinematographer here. Let me just double check my notes because this was shot in eight K, which is obviously regular. And it was really annoying for me because I I could only watch this film on DVD. I don't think there's a Blu-ray available yet. Uh, no, I, I've I've looked even online and there's no Blu-rays, and that makes no sense to me. Why would you film something in eight K and then not have the platform in which to oh, show it? Sorry about that, guys. No, you're absolutely right. It's. <laughs> It's despicable, and I'm glad I saw it in the cinema to at least get that. I don't know, because you rented this film on YouTube. I did. So, I do did. you know what the oh. resolution would have been? Uh, I think it was 4K. Oh, dude, that would look great. On your uh, new TV? On my new TV. Are you kidding me? You uh, started off with Hancock? <laughs> you yeah. kidding me? Could have um, started off with this film. Yeah, so the cinematographer was Claire Marfon, M-A-T-H-O-N, um, and yeah, she's just incredible. Just the way that it shoots, like... You, you essentially have this one location. It might be a dog tooth in a way, where it's like you have this one big location that they sort of utilize to to its max degree. I'd say dog tooth is another really good good example. Of yeah. The, just yeah. on like the, the actual locations and the way it's shot, but like just like the vista angles. Lanthimos and... has gotten a lot of mentions on this episode. So yeah. You've got the favorite, and now we're going to put dog tooth in there. You're going to put killing of the sacred deer in there. Yeah, so. I know. I'm, I'm thinking how to. <laughs> I saw that today on Facebook. Like someone was talking about it on Facebook. I was okay. like, I've got to get it in there somehow. Um, no, exactly. He's, he's a good director. But I, what I noticed as well this time watching it, and it might have just been to do with the fact I was watching DVD, but I, I think this translates, is this a softness to the image? Like, especially the characters. Like, this is something about their look that's really soft. Like, it doesn't you, feel too sharp. I can see why you pick up Dogtooth in that, because that's sort of how I feel sometimes with some of the Dogtooth cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's definitely... It feels like a painting when it does that. Oh, yeah. And especially with... um those scenes with sort of the uh, the Heloise uh, ghost, ghostly figure. Oh, my God. Yes. The way they sh- they put that, that definitely looks painting-like. And mm-hmm. I think they've lit, they've lit it that way when they've shot it in, I'm assuming it, some sort of green screen or TV, like, studio. I think uh, it... I think there is a bit of uh, compositing in there. And the reason I say that is because the DVD that I watched, because it was quite low quality, unfortunately... Um, the blacks weren't really reacting too well to the mm. screen I was watching on. So I could see this sort of checkered pixeled outline around her as she faded into darkness. And I was like, oh my God, this is the blacks of the screen it's definitely reacting to the composite. It's definitely yeah. some sort of compositing or something like so, that. Um, but um, Yeah, do not buy this on DVD, guys. That is such a disservice to the, the how good this film looks. Yeah, it's honest. I think that's going... When we eventually get to the where it's available... I, probably would say 
right now, YouTube might be the best bet. Maybe, um, yeah. I mean, you've got, like, Apple and stuff. You can't stream this anywhere. You can only rent and buy it online or DVD. Yeah. So. That was five bucks. It wasn't too bad. I, oh, that's good. I, I had no problem watching it for five bucks. Yeah, yeah. Too... There should be a Blu-ray coming. Like, I, I say that, I'm sure there will be one. Yeah. This is probably Mad Men are taking ages to, to do it. Yeah. Or to justify the price. But um, I want to talk a bit about her in the wedding dress and those sort of nightmarish glimpses because that the film that first off that image is actually quite terrifying oh, a little bit that's what what's you it? thought it was that's, what's this no that's uh, that actually helps because it kind of confused me a little bit oh okay no yeah that that's totally her in a wedding dress and i always saw it especially as their love sort of came together yeah that's the iconography of what's when she's going to get taken away from marianne is her in the wedding dress and her take away but this is why i think this is one of the most clever feminist films ever that's clever is it's not about bashing of man we you know we talked about um what was the film we talked about a minute ago but oh we're talking about oceans eight mm-hmm. but you can even attribute that to the 2016 ghostbusters and like these are films that want to take this feminist side of it and be like hey here are our cool female characters but we're going to spend half the film talking about how men are stupid apes and it's all about bashing men what this film does and there's discussions but it's about the absence of man and not only when we see her in a wedding dress, they find a way to only include her, her character, to to visualize the fear of her being taken away by mm. a man. But even, and again, this kind of gets a bit spoilery, we already talked about how she has a daughter at the end of the film. Is it a daughter? That, I it was a son. I thought it was a daughter. I'm pretty sure mm. we'll have to double check. But, I mean, that just proves my point. If it is a daughter, that proves my point even more because then it's only the two women on the portrait. So the, the absence of the father is even... In there now, I was a little. I was. It was like, ah, oh, damn it! When I rewatched it, and you actually do see that. I believe that's the husband, or some take, or maybe it's just the guy that's returning. The mother was that meant to be the husband that she sees for a brief second down the stairs. Ooh, I'm not sure about that one. Now that I think about it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the husband. No, it just I means mean, that she's home. Men definitely take the the back seat mm. in this. I think most of them are either shot with cut off or from distances i counted i made sure to count the time there's only five lines said by a man in this whole film one of them is the equivalent of hello mm-hmm. and three of them are at the end with the art uh critic guy talking yeah. to, to marianne so it's interesting no i just i thought it was such a clever way to it just it didn't rely on the crux of here's the scary man it's like no it can translate all these themes with with the absence of man, this is a story about four women, and especially when uh, the courtress leaves or the mother leaves, and it's just about those three women having fun. They're playing card games, and there's the whole side story, which I'll talk a bit about in my highlight scene, about trying to get an abortion for the maid for Sophie. And I don't know, I just I I was like, this is just so clever. It doesn't rely on these crutches. It it doesn't feel like it has to bash the existence of men to 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 translate its themes. Yeah, I, think, I just was blown away by that. I think especially, I think the most apt comparison could even fall back to Little Women versus this film. Mm, um, interesting. Sort of the uh, different routes they take to you know, achieve relatively similar goals. Both involve a struggling artist. Um, so I guess... Uh, even, but even, and I, I think Little Women's a great sort of film in terms of the aesthetics and stuff, but even they have like the the ba- the big bad guy who has to say no I'm not giving you a book deal 
Yeah. And that's fine. That's completely fine. Or even the Timothy but, Chalamet character. Yeah, exactly. Like, sort of has this morally great. For some thing. for some reason every girl really likes him even though he's a tool for the whole film. I just <laughs> He is. It's like Florence Pugh and Sir Sharon and they're just like give him way too many outs and he's just a toss pot. Like <laughs> sorry. God. Uh, God ladies, come on. You can do better than Timothy Chalamet, or can they? Can they really? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just think this film is so clever in that it doesn't even need that. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would, I always get to. I try and nowadays sort of look at that and think that this film's not even concerned with trying to make a feminist film. This film's just concerned about telling a a love tragedy tragedy mm. i mean that's really what the film's talking or or you know sort of the uh emotion we put into achieving perfection in the art like yeah, artistic perfection yeah. um and looking at it from that way rather than oh well the absence of men or you know having uh negative opinions of men like trying to bag them out i think the story here is or at least my interpretation of it was definitely more along the lines of sort of striving to achieve that that perfect form of art mm. and just the admiration of the human form, whatever that that be. There's um, definitely a connection with the the painting and and obviously their love for each other and how of course there's sort of like the restart. There's always like I need to do another painting, do another try again. So there's absolutely a connection. Or even there. I mean in scenes where. Uh, uh, there, like, and she spontaneously draws like um, Heloise, or spontaneously paints Heloise. Mm. You know, it's uh, when when Sophie's like lying there, and she's like, "Oh, you're gonna paint us now," and it's like, yeah. "Okay." <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's yeah, I think there's it's definitely kind of showing beauty on multiple levels and doing it through as narrative that. I haven't seen before. Yeah, no, it definitely, there's a unique flair to it. And again, I I think you're spot on with the fact that there's a natural beauty underlying. Like it doesn't feel the need to make the nudity like excessively obvious or sexy. It's like, it's, it's sexy in its naturalism that they're just lying there doing their own thing. Naturalism is definitely the the tone for sure. Yeah. I would, it's pretty much naturalism any day of the week. (laughs) <laughs> um, for sure but it all abides by that rule i guess yeah yeah oh, you got anything else you'd like to add buddy um i think before we do any highlight scenes mm-hmm. i mean the one thing I, I oh i see why i got a big dot point here i see why it's a big dot point so why is it a big um, dot point well one of the things i wanted to talk about was the the actual shots of them doing the tracing and the drawing and the painting and re-watching it last night i was actually shocked at how much of it there was i remember there being far less Okay. But what I loved is that they're sort of these very confident locked off tripod shots of sometimes minutes at a time of just the process of painting. Do you think it's her? Well, I know for a fact that it's not all her. Yeah. I didn't think... It sort of feels like the equivalent of like when someone plays the piano. Right. And it's like they cut to like a real close up of a dude's hands playing it. I'm sort of like... Yeah, I don't know if that actor learnt all those piano things. Right. I see. I don't. Think, it didn't take me out of the movie because you're right. It's like the way no, it's done. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a pair of hands. I mean, yeah, exactly. you'd have to be pretty uh, cinema sins level critique in order to 
<laughs> yeah, that's about five. Every time it cuts to that, they're going to give it a sin, which I wonder if they're ever going to do this movie. If it's white lady hands that are around the right age, that'll do. Well, basically. exactly. Well, I've got here that the actual artists whose hands are in the film was uh, Helene, uh, Helene Demare okay. is her name. So she painted for 16 hours a day every day for the process of filming, which I think was about 38 days, I want to say. And, uh, yeah, those are her hands on film, and they're obviously meant to match Marianne. But, like, even even if... And I know it didn't necessarily take you out of the film, but even if it did for someone else, I think the beauty in it, in the confidence of those, like, locked-off shots is just just experiencing the process of art. And I love a film that can show me, oh, this person's good at their job because of this, and they show that. It's definitely um, one of the big positives that I like from it, because Mm -hmm. I like films no matter what the artistic exploration is but seeing the process is Mm. one of the like you know we talk about like things like once where it's like we see them Mm. doing the and we know for a fact that all of them are musicians so we know what we're seeing is probably very grounded song making stuff or at least it may be acted out but we know that they know what this process is. So. It's authentically them singing and performing, and it, it's, yeah, it's exactly. all on screen. Exactly. You know, you see stuff like that and that grounded, uh, you know, naturalism, realism. Um, I prefer any day of the week over just having the actress um, or actor, like, um, just going... Oh, now do a little squiggle. Do another squiggle. Oh, no, it's okay. We'll just We'll just... We'll just cut around it. Yeah, cut exactly. around it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like... um, no, exactly. That, that's why I really love it because it, it's almost educational. Like the way you see her arm sort of flourish yeah. or her hand does this certain thing, and even just like the peppered dialogue or, or the little foldy sounds of the the scratching. It's like it's just so subtle. Yeah, and I mean, I it's, love a, that. it's even like I think um, you know. Taron Edgington did a pretty good job in Rocket Man mm. too because he can yeah. actually play the piano and stuff like that, so he can actually. When he was doing yeah. that, uh, that your song scene, it's like that scene was probably one of the best scenes in the film, because you actually get to see the creative process. So I think cr- seeing the creative process, even if it's not the actual actor doing it, yeah, is far better. Than, yeah, exactly. Uh, cutting around it and just going, oh, and now painting's made. <laughs> you know, like the fact that they exactly. put sixteen hours a day for thirty six days—that's crazy. Yeah, just to just to paint. That's everything. how long it's... it takes to paint. That's how, yeah, no, it's a grueling process. And I love yeah. that this taking place in the 18th century, it's like, this is really the only way to preserve anyone's... There's no photography. There's de- certainly no cameras and phones. Yeah, well, like, I mean, this, that's the thing, right? Yeah, this is the way to do it. And it does tie into my highlight scene. But um, I guess I want to ask you something before. Is there anything specifically that you were like, I could have done without that in this film? Anything you weren't really a big fan of? Not really. Okay. Kind of flew by. It was a good two hours. Yeah, it was way fast, faster paced for me last night. I remember it feeling a bit slower in the theater, but no, I've really gotten. Um, it was a really good escape from my assignment too. So <laughs> um, uh, no, um, uh. I can't think of anything because I. I guess maybe this the Sophie stuff, but not really because I liked her character. Right. Yeah. Um. I'm still not 100% sure what her age was. Oh, she must have been like 18. 16. 16 to 18? Yeah, I bet she was under 18. Okay. Cause... I could find out the actress's name is 
uh, sorry, these are all French names, so I'm going to butcher these. Uh, Lorna uh, Bajrami. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, that's her name. She looks young even in her like IMDb photo. So Yeah. Um, I mean... That doesn't surprise me, though, that she's like this young, unwed woman gets pregnant. Yeah. That makes sense to me. It happens. Yeah. Um, but, no, there's probably nothing in this that I would do without because all of it needs to be there. Mm. Um, I didn't... I get why the the mother interact. I like how sparing they were with the mother interactions and that she kind of leaves pretty early in. Yeah. But she needs to be there at the start because yeah. that's to establish the distance that Heloise and Marianne start off at. Mm. Um, but in terms of her ne- necessity, I'm really glad that she's not like, he doesn't turn into a, she's like always there and she's like the secret... Severus Snape in the, yeah, in the library. Like it's a secret love affair in the house. No, she leaves and because the girls... it's the 18th century, she's yeah. gone for a long time. She's yeah. gone away. It's, yeah. She's not coming back for a couple of months. So, yeah. you know, yeah, they're allowed to just express their, their secrecy doesn't come from people not wanting to find out. It's because they don't actually really know what they're feeling. I think yeah. Sometimes. Well, it's all, it's more internal struggles because it's not like Sophie doesn't really care. Yeah, because it's more a like, it's yeah. more a societal because they've just been conditioned to think that that's not allowed. Mm, so. Exactly. They're... No, the yeah the way you put because I didn't think of that. I always love the idea of like the girls are having fun now, so the mother's gone, so they can have like fun. Yeah, and like they're reading books and playing the card games. But I like that. Yeah, the way you put it, where it, there's an alternate version of this film where the mother was like a looming presence and they had to hide in their rooms. It's like no, that's kind of childish. Yeah. And I'm glad and, it's abolished. Though. Yeah, it's sort of... It comes... And I think that's actually sort of the route that the favourite takes way yeah, more. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Because, you know, it's it's kind of hard, not, like, with the way the favourite sort of turns into that bombastic back and forth. And they don't... The subtlety is not nearly... They're not very secret about it, really. No. Uh, there's, but there is an element of it. There are other characters that are sort of aware of what's going on between what's the What's going queens, on in here? Yeah. yeah. So, it's a little different. Um, That's but, a great comparison, though. I didn't think about that. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, so I'm ready to move into... Cool. I wouldn't... I would have done... I'm happy with the two hours. Yeah, I'm, I'm Two glad. and a half hours, I might have been... I might have had an answer for you. But two <laughs> hours is... Normally, I'm... You're pretty safe with two hours. Yeah, I was glad... I was glad it definitely felt like it all went way quicker last night and maybe it's just, there's an element of like I'm going into this much more excited now because I know what the film is and I love it so much but um, even like them they don't kiss until about an hour 20 in the film and I remember in the theater being like oh my god like it's such a like a slow burn to get to that point and there's even interviews of, of the director and the actress mm. talking about the slow burn and why it takes so long but then I when I watched it last night I was like oh oh they're already they're already together it was yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was me. But, yeah, we want to... Let's do some highlight scenes, Luke. I would say my highlight scene's going to come down to the first sort of... Uh, first inclination that um, there may be a spark of chemistry between the two, and it comes mm. from a scene in which Marianne's uh, uh, painting uh, Heloise, and it's one of the earlier scenes where she's posing for her. And- okay, so... They've already... She's already figured it out at this point that she's been painted. Yeah. Yep, so she's posing, gotcha. And uh, Heloise sort of addresses that they're both kind of been 
catching each other's eyes and mm. fixating on each yeah. other with her sort of doing a perspective shift where it's like we've pretty much up until this point we've done a lot of uh Marianne looking towards Heloise. Yeah. It's very much, that's been the focal point. It's very one-sided at this point. Yeah, it's her looking at her. And this is the first time that we find out that, you know, Heloise is looking just as much at the artist as the artist is looking at her. Mm. And I like that. It's a really good, subtle way of indicating what's to come. And it's a really cool kind of power dynamic shift. Is this the scene where they also point out each other's idiosyncrasies? Or is it before that? I believe... No, that's the same scene. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, and that's what really leads into... Okay, we know where this yep. is going. And oh, I kind of like... And I love the tension scene. in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. I like that. That would be mine. Um, I guess it's a shame because neither of us are going to talk about the ending scene or just the musical... Oh, I was piece. brilliant. That was yeah. so good because it's perfect like that was, like, it was perfect... Perfect example of cause and effect. You know, she talks about she's never heard an orchestra before and then she yep. hears an orchestra at the end and it's like she's just reacting and we're watching as Marianne's gazing That's another gaze, her. you're right, yeah. And she's just reacting because she knows what it's about. Like, she knows why she's crying. And yeah. stuff. But but not, not, I don't think once in that scene we cut back to Marianne's nope. reaction. It's all just her watching. Once we cut, there might be one, like, shot, reverse shot of her reaction Marianne's reaction, but once we cut to Heloise, it's a slow sort of zoom in, and that's the last shot. Yeah, in the film. Fantastic! What and it a goes on for like shot. two, three minutes. Yeah, it's oh, excellent. So good. Um, I just wanted to because it's not my highlight scene, but I just I needed to point that out. And I think the track they use is it's the Presto from Summer from Valadie's Four Seasons. So if you want to hear that track, it's it's incredible, and it's obviously the one that she plays on that piano early in the film. Yeah. It's like it's such a, a brilliant callback. It's a killer first, uh, final shot. Mm. Killer final shot. Oh. So. And again, because there's so little music, it's just so impactful when they do use music. Yeah. In such a way. So Roma I, has a very similar effect. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Like with the burning um, mm-hmm. pile and all that stuff. For sure. My highlight scene, um, I'm going to need a bit of explanation for this one. I mean, the scene itself is excellent, but there's, there's stuff surrounding the scene that I really want to get into. So the scene I'm referring to is Sophie's abortion scene. And I remember when I was in the theater and I first watched, I was blown away. Just the fact that we're seeing, and the whole process up until that point of her, it's like chucking laps on the beach and drinking these substances and hanging from the roof. Like all of these really ancient ways of trying to terminate a pregnancy, which nowadays with all this medicine and medical procedures we have is like almost unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you go back to this time period, you're like, oh yeah, like doing it at this point is so, so tough. <laughs> and like, you wouldn't even know how successful you are. And it leads to that scene where she's on the bed and just the baby, like grabbing her hand and calling her. I'm like, my God, like what a fucking scene. But I didn't even think about this until last night when I rewatched it. Obviously the following scene, you mentioned it. They recreate the pose to mm-hmm. paint that scene, which at first I thought was quite interesting. And I've sort of realized what that was. And it goes back to us talking about there's no other way to preserve moments uh, or people or images or likenesses or anything like yeah. that. You can only paint to essentially do that at this point or carve into a rock, I guess. I don't know. It's the only way you can do that. And it reminded me of the time when this might get a little deep. So don't don't worry, guys. It's okay. We're, we're emotionally fine here. But there, I remember a point when it was my mother with her mother on her deathbed and we were in the mm-hmm. hospital. And this was the weekend she was going to pass away. And one of my immediate reactions, well, not immediate reactions, but you know, I was, I was sitting there for hours. 
and immediately, or I keep saying immediately, I should say, spontaneously, I just decided to take a photo of that moment, just to have that moment on camera. Mm-hmm. And now it's on my computer, and I remember, like, maybe a year or two after she passed, I had shown my mum that photo, and it does create this very emotional reaction, but it sort of reminded me of that when, like, something happens to someone, and it may sound weird, but it's, like, to capture that moment, and obviously nowadays we can use camera phones to do that. Yeah. But back then, there was, like, there was sort of this kind of horrible but beautiful thing that's happened to Sophie or the maid that they wanted to just have some sort of visual memory of. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, I, that all came in my head last night on my second watch, and I was like, wow, like... That's a real uh, life-to-text analysis right there. There you go. Um, <laughs> I can help you if you essay if you want. I literally had to talk about that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> there you go. But um, I think just stuff like that, I think that's why it's my favourite film of the of the last year. And we talked about our favourite films of the decade on episode 50, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would put it up there for sure. Definitely my top 10, maybe even my top 5. So it's a, I think it's a brilliant film for all of the reasons we discussed. No drama as well. <laughs> Portrait. Of a Lady on Fire is out somewhere <laughs> on YouTube and DVD. Um, so yes. in wide release, technically. See, exactly. You can rent and buy it on Apple TV, YouTube, and Google Play. Of course, you uh, went that route YouTube. this time. I got it on DVD. Uh, I'm absolutely waiting for the 4K or Blu-ray release because it would look amazing on that. No dramas. Well, Jake, yeah. what is new in... Are we doing just cinemas or streaming platforms We're still? doing both for now, but you're right. I'm going to have to migrate soon because this is going to get into a really big list after a while. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So on streaming, if you've got any of these platforms, uh, The Old Guard is a film coming to Netflix this week starring Charlie's Ferron. So they, I think it's like a superhero thing or like a, like an indie superhero, like obviously not Marvel related. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but um, that's coming to Netflix. On stand this week, you're getting films like The Getaway of Love, A Single Man, and Sing Street, which I'm pretty sure is on Netflix already, but mm-hmm. Sing Street is a great film, as well as all five seasons of Bates Motel, which I might start watching now because I've seen Psycho, so I know what's, I know what that's all about. No dramas. On Disney Plus this week, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to go on a little while. Uh, uh, not a lot, actually, for Disney Plus. There's just new episodes for shows like Disney Family Sundays and One Day at Disney, so it's just... If you're watching shows, you might get a new episode of that on a weekly basis, but that's about it. Uh, if you want to go to Hoyt's this week on the the, the mega chains, if you will, uh, they are open now, and they're replaying films from more recently, 1917, Joker, um, Ford v. Ferrari, Invisible Man. Uh, but they're actually going a little further back. So my sister got in, got in on this yesterday. All eight Harry Potter films are playing over the next couple of weeks. Oh, okay. So that's pretty cool. And I would love to attend it, but I actually have seen all eight films in the cinema before. So. I think I've seen from three onwards. See, I, me too, but they actually did this when Half-Blood Prince came out. They replayed them all in cinemas. Okay. So that's how I ended up seeing the first two in cinema. Yeah, I've seen three onwards, and the only ones I didn't... The only part two I didn't see in a cinema. Oh, wow. one and two. I didn't see it yeah. cinema, so... So, the, the the first two and the last one? Yeah. That last watched, one was like an event, though. Last one I watched on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I'm have not a pro- Harry Potter person. I actually had big problems with that last one. Yeah, I, I mean, I had multiple problems with probably six on... Five onwards. Um, Damn. I kind of checked out after four. I really liked four, and then... That That's was, fair. Uh, that was it for me. Yeah. I'm not a Harry Potter person. It's like, it's... 
never been something that I found remotely interesting. Right. I think that's fair. Enough. I think I hit my quota with Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. So that's yeah. I think for me it was it would have been Star Wars and Harry Potter. But now now I've seen the Lord of the Rings as well, so I can jump on that ship. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and last but not least, if you want to go to Luna or uh, Palace, Palace Cinemas Paradiso, whatever you want to call it, we're getting some newer films there. So coming out this week, a white white day sees an off-duty police officer begin to suspect a local man who may have had an affair with his recently dead wife, causing him to go down a rabbit hole of obsession. Waves is an epic emotional journey of a suburban African-American family coming together in the wake of a tragic loss. Shirley, this one sounds interesting, sees Elizabeth Moss from The Invisible Man uh, play a famous horror writer who finds inspiration for her next book when her and her husband take in a young couple. And last but not least, if you're a fan of The Room, it's being played once again at Luna this Sunday, the 12th. So if you want to throw some spoons at a screen, there you go. Nice. So uh, that's that's the week. Big week. But yeah. Now, Z. Looking forward to it. This might be the first time we've ever done this. Yeah. We haven't picked a film for next week yet. <laughs> that's true. I was hoping you would have just picked one. Oh, you know, we would have just nah, asked That would have been a bit mean. Um... <laughs> Um, what would you like to do, Jay? Do we want to do one of those new yeah, films? Yeah. Which, what sounds interesting to you? Okay, let's see if Elizabeth Moss can redeem herself with... I like that. Uh, with our, Shirley. Yeah, with Shirley. So, I, <laughs> that could have been a good cutoff point there. But... Yeah, I, think I, I said the name too early and now we're like, oh, what do we do? Okay. Jake, we are actually watching one of those films. Oh, really? This oh, we <laughs> next week on the stream. <laughs> you're 20. But Jake, you're 20 what are we stream. watching? Next week on the show, we're watching Shirley. To our suffering, my dear. There's not enough scotch in the world for that one. <laughs> Shirley, what are you writing now? A little novella. I'm calling none of your goddamn business. <laughs> well, you were invited to stay here for a few days until we can find a place. Shirley has these bouts. She's gone sick in the head. I read your story. What are you doing in here? It made me feel thrillingly horrible. Famous horror writer finds inspiration for her next book after she and her husband take in a young couple. Oh, yeah, I just read that. <laughs> You, you that did. makes sense, yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously uh, this is also a 2020 film, so that I'm actually Perfect. pretty chuffed because that means Elizabeth Moss, who I really like, and you know she was still good in Invisible Man. Like but say we, she was, yeah. But we didn't like the films. So we didn't much. like the film. So uh, let's hope she can redeem herself with this film next week on the show but until then there you go thank you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show Podcast I was Zeke I was Jay and we'll catch you next week with Shirley